Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. My name is David Chen, and they told me you couldn't make a movie about digging a hole in someone's backyard, but they were wrong. Joining me today is Devendra Hardawar. I am not the asshole in this relationship. <laughs> and also, Jeffrey Kanata. It's pronounced Jafe. <laughs> oh my god, Jeff. Did you get it? That was you awful. That was awful. You get yeah. it, right? Okay, that was pretty good. Yeah, that's really time? good. Come on. Is that the first time you've done that? Is that the first time you've done yes. that? Yes. Yes. Okay. I mean, bravo, Jeff. Bravo. It's anyway. Because uh, you know the guy in the movie we're talking about. Yeah, I know. Uh the guy yeah. we're in the movie, right? Um yeah. what's his what's his name again in the movie? Ralph, right? Yeah. Ralph, Ralph, right? Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> <laughs> well, you really, you really crack yourself up, Jeff. I do. You really crack, your, you really crack yourself up. Must have had this one loaded I, you know? for a while. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you had waiting for that refined hit. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I, you know that I thought about. I thought of that it's two true. seconds it's before true. we started. Jeff, Jeff, exter- okay. I have to explain. You know, uh, I ask everyone. You know, we've been doing these like little person intros, and uh, I, right before we record, I said, "Do you guys have your intro ready?" And Jeff said, "Yes, I do." And then he started laughing maniacally for about three no, whole I didn't. minutes. I said, "I said no, I don't." Give me a second. I'll come up with one, and then. <laughs> I started giggling. It's true. It's true. Yeah. Anyway. It, wasn't, it wasn't like years in the making. I, I just, that's good. It's real good. Come on. That's pretty good. Jafe. That's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Slash Filmcast. You can find more episodes of this podcast. If you haven't tuned out already, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Today, we got some what we've been watching, which is going to include a spoiler-filled discussion of WandaVision. Uh, and then we got some weekly plugs followed by uh, a review, a featured review of The Dig, the new film that's out right now on Netflix starring Carrie Mulligan and Ralph Fiennes. Uh, in the After Dark this week, uh, which is available exclusively for patrons at patreon.com slash film podcast, an in-depth discussion of Malcolm and Marie, also on Netflix this week. Um, Actually, really excited about that conversation. I think that'll be a really yeah. fun one. Let's just spend well. the entire time shouting at each other. Yeah, it's going to be two <laughs> hours of yelling at each other, or as yeah. we like to call it, an episode of the Slash Filmcast. <laughs> Nailed it. Nailed it, Jeff. Um, okay. But before we get to that, just a, a brief, more serious note. Christopher Plummer passed away this week, which is yeah. really, really sad. Uh, this guy is a legendary actor, and I wanted to just take a minute to acknowledge uh, his career, which is, has over 200 credits. I mean... Incredible. In recent in recent years, this guy has become a legend for two reasons alone. Like even if he didn't have another, like the, the rest of his career, for two reasons alone. First of all, he was in Knives Out. He played Harlan Thrombey, the the Ryan Johnson movie, and I thought he did an incredible job in that. Film. Incredible, so, um, yes. Uh, gave a lot of uh, gravitas and pathos to that. That uh, I mean, um, not not really a spoiler. He's the murder victim in that movie. Um, and somebody gets so, murdered in the murder mystery. Some, yeah. Someone gets murdered, and it's him. And uh, I thought he did a fantastic job. But also, does everyone remember when uh, they had to reshoot? Uh, they they had to excise Kevin Spacey from Ridley Scott's All the Money in the World, uh, that movie like about exist. like about like Come three on. weeks before that movie was released yeah. into theaters, and Christopher Plummer yeah. was like, "I'll do it, I'll yeah. do it," and he just sure. he that's just an shot. actor. That's an that's a working actor. They're like, uh, I mean, talk about a, this guy has theater background, right? He he was an understudy in a film. 
You know, that doesn't happen very often. <laughs> he was in an understated film and he didn't even know it. You know what I mean? Like he didn't yeah. know that he was going to be. Uh, but I mean, that's just like straight up gangster, man. Like that's just incredible that he was able yeah. to step in and and, baller, uh, and make that movie something into uh, into a thing that was releasable. Right. Like if he didn't, sure, if he hadn't sure. done that, then all the hundreds of people who worked on that film like that might have never seen the light of day. Uh, so, uh, bravo to him and, and for inspiring many memes about him stepping in and replacing actors at the last minute who have been canceled. Uh, but I want to ask you guys, like, are there any other, uh, Christopher Plummer performances that you're particularly fond of? A couple come to mind for so me. So many. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll just say, share like kind of my favorites. Obviously, uh, Von Trapp in The Sound of Music, like is, is that's a movie that I watched so many times as a kid. My mom really... Uh, indoctrinated us into the ways of the sound of music when we were little. Um, Mike Wallace in The Insider, Insider he did a great, yeah. did a yeah. great Mike Wallace impression, and uh, Dude, The Insider is a fantastic movie. Yeah, Dave, I know you got to go with Star Trek VI: The Undiscovered Country, right? Uh, uh, it, it, okay. Yeah. The thing, is, the thing is, he's actually really good in that movie. He but is good. Yeah. It, it does weird me out that he is called General Chang. Uh, uh, in the well, movie, yeah. which is kind of like an Asian name, and I'm not, not sure if like the Klingons are supposed to be coded as Asian. And I don't know if you know this, but despite his ability to change into into Kevin Spacey, uh, he is not Asian. So, well, that, I, that, I did <laughs> spend much of my childhood uh, wondering how the hell that eye patch was attached to his face, bolted so, on, bolted on. Yeah, just, I mean, it bolted drilled on. into his skull. Evidently, is what we were led to believe in that movie. I'm gonna say that. Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, was one of my first exposures to Shakespeare because it was like, mm. that movie came out in what? Um, uh, 1991. 1991 yeah. was when Star Trek VI came out. So I was quite a youngin at the time. And there is this, if you haven't seen Star Trek VI, A, it's a great film. B, there is a moment that is totally badass when, spoiler alert for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, I th- if I recall correctly, somebody shoots a torpedo at his Klingon warbird, and he starts quoting Hamlet, right? Yeah. He starts saying, to be or not to be, that is the question. And then this torpedo like slams into his ship, and it's like, holy shit, that's a badass way to go out. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the so, whole title of the movie is a, a Shakespeare quote, but yes. Yes, that is correct. Also Hamlet, Jeff. Also Hamlet. Don't, don't, don't question my Shakespeare bona fides. Um, but uh, yeah, he was awesome in that. And uh, the, another movie I remember him from um, is uh, Dr. Goins in 12 Monkeys. He's uh, Brad Pitt's father in that film. And I always yeah. felt bad because I felt like he was a kind of accomplished dude that had to deal with uh, Brad Pitt in that movie for a son. So uh, that just felt like it must have been challenging. Um, but Anyway, those are a few of my favorite Christopher Plummer performances. Do you guys have anything that comes to mind? Uh, I think you kind of you brought up the ones I probably would jump to is because I watched Twelve Monkeys quite a bit uh, as a teenager, and yeah. he he just seemed like towering in that role. And then as I learned to love Michael Mann movies, um, The Insider, the fact that you know he did a pretty pretty compelling Mike Wallace or a very like yes. you know, true to life Mike Wallace. So I really appreciated that the more I watched that movie. Jeffrey, yes. you're yeah as as a as a lover of theater and acting like what what are your favorite Mike uh, I'm sorry I was going to say Mike Wallace favorite Christopher Plummer performances uh, have you guys seen Barrymore no. no it is he plays John Barrymore and I guess he did that a lot he played John Barrymore quite a few times uh, I think there's a stage version and I think he did like a TV movie version uh, where he played not a version 
of the same thing, but like playing John Barrymore in other things. Um, but it's, it's awesome. And yeah, he's, he was incredible. And uh, what, like six decades uh, of career in, in, in film and, and the theater. It's, um, that's quite an accomplishment in and of itself. Uh, really, uh, long life. And one of those people where, you know, he passed away and you go, he, he lived a long, full life. Uh, so it's not as if he was, you know, always you, you think taken too mm-hmm. soon, but at least, you know, we got, we got to see a lot of this, uh, very talented man. Yeah. Well, Christopher Plummer, rest in peace. You were a badass until the very end. And, uh, you, you know, I mean, his contributions to the world of cinema are indelible and we really appreciate them, but, but, uh, great college of Barrymore, um, uh, very well reviewed, not, not a movie I've seen. So, uh, appreciate you shouting that one out. Um, okay, let's get to what we've been watching. Uh, let's do a couple things before we dive into WandaVision, because the WandaVision conversation is going to be a while. So why don't we make that our second segment? Um, I'll shout out a couple things I've been watching real quick. First of all, I had a chance to see Blown Away Season 2. Do you guys know what the show Blown Away is on Netflix? Mm-mm. Yes, it, it is not the like a TV version of the... I used to think it was the like film? blowout. No, it was like yeah. a blowout. I was like, did they turn that into a TV series? What's happening here? But no, it's about it, glass it is, people. It glass. is not oh, a yeah. TV. It is not a TV ver- show version of the Stephen Hopkins 1994 thriller starring Tommy Lee Jones and Jeff Bridges. Yes. Correct. Yes. Yeah, also that, that is Jeff Bridges. Yeah. yeah. It is the, uh, bomb, the bomb makers. The bomb right? one. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, this is instead a reality show about glass blowing. Oh, I watched one episode of this. Yeah, a long time ago, after I'd eaten a very special cookie. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and I'll just say a couple quick things about Blown Away, uh, which are that uh, I think the show is is quite enjoyable. It feels like a reality show that has almost no budget. I mean, and what I, what I mean by that is uh, the dialogue on the show is painfully generic, right? So. Uh, I don't know if you guys like. Are there? Do you guys have any favorite reality shows? Like, what are your what are some of the reality shows you actually enjoy? Just out of curiosity, mm. um, I'll, I'll say like Top Chef is one that I am, sure. am fond yeah. of. I, you know, I've mentioned a number of design shows that my wife and I are both into, um, like Grand Designs and right. Um, uh, you know, those I, I like. I like. You know, there's a lot of you know HGTV yeah. that we watch and that kind of. But thing. you're ta- you're talking more like the competition ones, right? So that w- that would be Top Chef territory and stuff. Top yeah. Chef, you know, Great British Baking Show, like those kind of things. But this feels like it has like a quarter of the budget of those shows, um, because like first of all, they all, all the stuff takes place in one location, and secondly, like the the dialogue is so generic, like and, and because it's the world of glass blowing, which is not a particularly well known one. Uh, you have pe- people who are guests on the show that most people don't know who they are, right? Like it's like this week we have so and so who uh, who studied at the Glass School of blah blah blah, and it's like you have no, you've never heard of that person. Cut away to an interview where someone says, "Oh my gosh, I'm so glad we have so and so because they're really good at judging things." You know, it's like it's just the most generic dialogue ever. But what is cool about this show? is you get to see some really cool glass creations these people make. I don't even watch the whole show, guys. I just watch the be- the first three minutes where they say, here's what the challenge is, and then I skip to the last 10 minutes where they evaluate what the people have created. And if you do that, you can like pound to the entire th- season in like less than two hours. You, you just missed the whole process, the, the act of blowing. Come on. It's so true. 
It's so true. Um, yeah. They they have all these things that like would make uh, Jeff giggle. I think uh, like they they use like uh, glory holes to make the uh, uh, the glass now creations. You're just making and, things up. Come and, on. Uh, you're saying and that I, people blow something with a glory hole. It's true. And then at the saying? end, at the end, they oh, every week they award a best in blow. Uh, yeah. to, to one of the contestants. So I mean, you know, if if your category is blowing, right, you really just got to lean into all the double entendres and everything, right? Like just just really go for it. You got it. You got it. Um, so blown away season two is something I've been watching this week, and uh, I would recommend it. It's quite enjoyable, and I'd, re- I'd also recommend you watch it the way I watch it. But you know, if you want to watch the whole thing, that's fine too. Also, blown away season two has something that I never thought I would see in a show about glass blowing, which is it has a villain uh, played by the name of Chris, played by someone named Chris Taylor in the show. Any, any good guy, reality show has a villain. Let me just say this. You want true. to hate somebody, at least one it's, person. It's true. I just never thought that I would feel strongly enough about glass blowing in my whole life to hate someone who's doing it. But Chris Taylor in this show, he's a guy that every week he disregards the brief. You know what I'm saying? Like people are like, "Hey, make a sculpture about um, make a sculpture that's a looks like a cartoon character." That's that's like what they ask everyone to do. And then he'll say at the end of the episode, "I decided to go a different direction with the brief. Mine is about free speech." Like, and that's literally what he's. And you'd think, "Oh, well, of course he's going to get eliminated immediately," but that's not what happens. <laughs> he keeps going at week after week, and it's absolutely infuriating. Um, and if you actually search on Twitter for Chris Taylor blown away, you'll see just endless amounts of hate for this guy. Uh, and, uh, some of it's not undeserved. Some yeah. of it's keeps not undeserved. You, keeps you watching though, right? You get, you gotta have that villain to, to make sure you see what they're, what they're up to this week. You know, it's actually, that's actually true. That's actually yeah. true. Uh, it, it really did keep me watching to see if Chris Taylor would meet his downfall. And I'm not going to say whether or not he did. But if you want to find out, check out Blown Away Season 2. It's on Netflix right now. Uh, I had a chance to watch a show called City So Real. Have you guys heard of this? This is a new documentary Uh series by Steve James. Mm -hmm. uh, And it is available right now on Hulu. And it basically is an, an almost impressionistic documentary about the city of Chicago and specifically their more uh, most recent mayoral race. Uh, basically, Rahm Emanuel was the mayor of Chicago. I don't know if you guys know that. And mm-hmm. he uh, said, hey, I'm not running because of uh, a terrible incident in which um, a black man was shot to death by police. And, and the handling of that, uh, he was excoriated for that and so he's like i'm not he he realized he had lost the support of the black community he couldn't win without it so he's like i'm not gonna run again and that left an opening for over a dozen people to jump into the mayoral race some of whom are really unconventional and who you wouldn't expect and this documentary city so real chronicles that race and also looks at the rest of chicago and what emerges from this show is a portrait of a quintessential american city uh you kind of get a sense of Everything that people in the city are struggling with, you get a glimpse of uh, people who are living in high society. You get a glimpse of people who are living in poverty and struggling to survive. Uh, you, you, you really get a sense of it all through this five-part documentary. Uh, I found it to be a very powerful, moving, and also insightful about what it's like to be in an American city these days. 
Um, Devendra, it felt like something you might enjoy, particularly as somebody who yeah. used to live in the quintessential American city, you know, the New York city. city. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but used to live, don't rub it in. Okay. Still hurt. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I thought this is a tremendous piece of work and it's available right now on Hulu. People can just go watch it right now, but, uh, yeah. Uh, and, and if you, if you, uh, don't want spoilers for real life, don't look up who the mayor of Chicago is right now because <laughs> the, uh, the documentary kind of hinges on that, that decision point. But, it's really incredible. The other thing, the only other thing I'll shout out is that it shows how the system is designed to keep out new entrants. Do you guys see uh, mm-hmm, "Knock Down mm-hmm. the House" on Netflix? The um, the AOC documentary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, which is also awesome. Like, and you see how challenging it was for her to get on the ballot and her to run, and it's really a system that's designed to keep out newcomers and she, to, she was running against the guy who didn't even live in new york and who didn't yeah. show up to like anything it was ridiculous absolutely yeah ridiculous. so there's like a very similar dynamic plays out when you see how difficult it is for these people to actually have any kind of chance mm-hmm. at even getting onto the ballot let alone winning uh and so it's it's also kind of a, a stark reminder of how much work we have to do to make politics more accessible and more engaging to everyone um so I really enjoyed it. It's City So Real. It's the new Steve James documentary that's on uh, Hulu right now. Finally, uh, before we get to WandaVision, I want to ask about Malcolm and Marie. So we are going to talk about Malcolm and Marie, full spoilers in the after dark. I want each of you to give me a one sentence or less review of Malcolm and Marie. Should people watch it? Jeff Kanata? Absolutely, you should watch it. Yeah, I found it fascinating on a number of levels. I think it's a a really interesting, challenging movie that makes you think and well worth your time to watch, for sure. Devinder Hardware? Yeah, I definitely think it's worth watching. Perhaps not executed in the best way, I'd say. But uh, as I tweeted, it does feel like a Reddit, uh, am I the asshole thread uh, in movie form like that's it that's the movie and if you enjoy those things you'll probably dig this i'm gonna go out on a limb and say malcolm and marie is a colossal waste of time for everyone involved including everyone who's watching it uh and i look forward to talking with it about you uh, talking with you guys about it but uh I, it is worth watching to understand the memes online that's exactly. what I'll say. Like, this is in conversation now, right? So <laughs> yeah, I think it's a reason. fascinating movie. I think it's, mm-hmm. I, I, I like, even if you it is end also, up coming away with it feeling it's a waste people, of It's your two people talking in a room movie, Jeff. Yeah, man. Like, it that's, is your that's thing. That's my jam. Yeah. But also, um, the movie is bad. <laughs> I'll just leave it's it It's not that. great. It's not a great movie. But, you know, <laughs> we're talking about. All right. So those are a few things that I've been watching this week. It's time to thank one of our sponsors, Paint Your Life. Folks, Valentine's Day is coming up. And if you want to do something special to celebrate it, what better idea than to get a special hand-painted portrait of you and a loved one? When I first heard about PaintYourLife.com, I thought, what a great idea. This thing has got to be super-duper expensive. But the thing is, PaintYourLife.com gives you professional hand-painted portraits created from any photo at a truly affordable price. You can choose from a team of 
world-class artists and work with them until every detail is perfect. I've used PaintYourLife.com and the platform is super easy to use. It lets you order a custom-made hand-painted portrait in less than five minutes. You can get a hand-painted portrait in about three weeks or so, but the process to get it is so quick and easy. All you got to do is send any picture. It can be you. It can be you and uh, a family member, you and a loved one, a cherished pet, a special place. Uh, you can also combine photos into one painting. This thing makes a perfect birthday present, anniversary present, or a wedding gift, but it's also important for Valentine's Day, and we all know we could use a good idea when it comes to Valentine's Day in general. That is coming up right quick. So check out Paint Your Life. And uh, one other thing, at paintyourlife.com, there is no risk. If you don't love the final painting, your money is refunded guaranteed. And right now, as a limited time offer, get 20% off your painting. That's right, 20% off and free shipping. To get this special offer, text the word FILM to 64000. That's FILM to 64000. Text FILM to 64000. Paint your life. Celebrate the moments that matter most. Terms apply. Available at paintyourlife.com slash terms. Again, text FILM to 64000. All right, folks. We got to talk about WandaVision Season 1, Episode 5. Now, in order to talk about this... Uh, we got to go into spoilers, right? Yeah. Unprecedented so, territory of early spoilers in the first quarter yes, of the show. Yes. Yeah. So we are going to do a full WandaVision season review later on in the Slash Filmcast. Um, but we got to go into full spoilers. And in order to uh, make it a little bit easier for people to identify when the spoilers begin and end, I'm going to play a sound uh, that's going to take us into the spoilers. And then I'm going to play a sound that's going to take us out. And it's basically, you know, the Marvel theme song that happens at the beginning of the show and of many Marvel movies. That's the song that I'm going to play to take us into spoilers. And then I took that audio and reversed it. And that's going to bring us out of the spoilers. <laughs> you okay? made the Tenet version of the song. I made okay, the Tenet good. version of that song. So let's get into spoilers for WandaVision Season 1, Episode 5, starting right now. So Wanda, uh, WandaVision Season 1, Episode 5 was, I thought, already a fairly good episode. You know, I've been really enjoying the show. Uh, I've been appreciating how every week it pulls back a layer of what's going on. Um, and just been been loving the, uh, o- the very meticulously constructed homages to classic sitcoms. For sure. In this, but also in the, case- the return of Jimmy Woo. Come on. That is. Yes. Yes. That's the reason to watch the show. The return well, also of uh, Dar- Captain Darcy. Yeah. Also, also Darcy. Darcy. Yeah. Love it. Uh, the, the mix of meticulously constructed uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s sitcoms mm-hmm. in the case of this week, like family ties and um, growing pains and things like that uh, combined with just abject psychological horror. Right. Uh, this idea of, wow, like these people are under not only are these people under psychic control, but they apparently are in agony. Right. Like that's that's kind of what he's indicated this week. Yeah. When Deep Vision, down they're aware of it. And yeah. It's terrifying. Yeah. When Vision forces that, like forces that guy out of his mind control and he's like, oh, my God, like I got to call my sister. She's taking care of my sick dad. I'm like, geez, this escalated quickly. Like, wow, this show is dark. And so I'm like, OK, I'm already a huge fan of what the show is doing. 
I'm enjoying finding out a little bit more every week. I thought you were not into it at first. I thought, I thought we oh, the our first, first conversation. The first two episodes, I was not into it. The first yeah. two episodes, I was not into it. But then episode three, it zero really, patience and trust. Zero patience and trust. Well, let's just say I've been burned too many times before, Jeff. Okay, we, we've been burned so, quite a bit. Yes, yeah. uh, but this then episode three really started pulling back the curtain, and episode four basically tore the curtain off. Uh, and so like, now, do, yeah. do, let me just say before we get there: Do you not agree that it made episode four and five better that you that we slow burned our way into them? Like no, the the fact that it, it dude it did it did it did it, <laughs> the idea that that this show slowly reveals itself as being two things at the same time and that you've got this like movie quality section of the show that starts to impede more and more on the television side. It, if it if it had just been that from the outset, it would not right. feel nearly as special. But I don't I don't feel like come on we know how this. Like, we kind of know how this works, and we kind of have a sense of where Wanda was post uh, Endgame and everything, right? So I was just waiting for that reveal, right? I was seeing people shocked. Oh, my God, WandaVision actually connects into the MCU. Guys, we had 23 movies where they they set up this entire universe and everything is interconnected. And, uh, you know, I was waiting for that moment. Um, for me, I, I didn't mind the slow burn. I just didn't uh, – I don't think I like the 50s – sitcom motif as much as other people did so just sitting through that for two episodes was that just felt grating because we didn't have more to to dive into but yeah the show transformed with episode three and even more with episode four so yeah it grew it grew here here's what i will say jeff uh i will say that what is great about the meticulously constructed uh you know homages is that when they snap out of those homages it is i find it truly unsettling when it happens yeah right? yeah and right. i i would not feel that way if we if they hadn't been so meticulously constructed mm-hmm. yeah. you know and i will because they also play, say they play oh, it ahead. so straight like the the camera style you know the photography style and the sort lighting of, and the, sort you know, of the sets they, they um they they create sets that are supposed to be uh you know like multi-camera shows right yes. and they, they don't do they the take thing some where they just shoot it from the front right they take some Sometimes. liberties they take yeah. some liberties but in general i'm pretty impressed with how well they recreate it and then whenever they snap out of that it's always terrifying to me yeah it's so, it's too many cooks it turns yes. into too many cooks of like, oh, <laughs> yes. you are destroying the artifice of the sitcom, and this is kind of hilarious. Yeah, yeah you're talking about the uh, the viral Adult Swim uh, viral video that went went live a few years ago. But yeah, sorry, go ahead, Jeff. No, I was just going to say that uh, this show and this Phase Four way the Marvel's kicking off Phase Four makes me even more retroactively pissed off at the. Star Wars mm. episodes <laughs> because That's of how not, how in control they are uh, 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 of the storytelling. Basically, we have how to move on, Jeff. We have to plan, move on. How <laughs> how planned out? How how much forethought? How much respect they're giving to each aspect? How things mm-hmm. their setups and payoffs that clearly required a lot of macro level thinking <laughs> yeah, and it can be done look it can be done across multiple properties across multiple media types it can be done and it's so satisfying to see the chess pieces move and then you get this wonderful payoff of something that was set up multiple movies beforehand that is very 
exciting to me as a viewer because no one has ever really done that before. And the idea that, you know, you sit down and you're going to make three more Star Wars movies and no one thinks on that macro level. All right, I know. Let's, I know let's get to the let's get to this show. OK, <laughs> um, so at the very end of the show, like Vision starts realizing something's going on. There's still many open questions about what is actually happening in this universe. Right. Because yeah. he should be is, dead. Yes. Like, is Wanda just, you know, moving Vision's corpse around? And like, is he is he actually dead? I think he is because we saw that little glimpse of him uh, last week, a couple of weeks ago. Um, who is actually controlling this? Is it just Wanda as Monica Rambo seems to think? I there's probably some other force at play. What is Agnes's true role in this? Like there's all these other questions uh about what's actually going on in this town. Where are the children? You know, what's the deal with Wanda's children? Because they seem to be actual kids as opposed to people under control. So also the, the all- literal plot of M. Night Shyamalan's upcoming movie, old. It's just mm. the kids get the kids grow fast. Nailed it. It's, uh, Nailed it. it's kind of hilarious. I bet, I bet yeah. M. Night felt really red in the face yeah. when he saw WandaVision yep. this week. So yep. okay. So all those are still open questions. But then at the very end, Vision's about to realize what's happening. He's like confronting Wanda and the doorbell rings and Wanda opens the door and it is literally the last person that I would have ever expected yes. to see at that door, <laughs> which is... But the coolest person you could possibly see person. at that door. It's her brother, Pietro, uh, a.k.a. Quicksilver. But as we all know, Quicksilver was killed by Ultron in the Avengers Age of Ultron. It is not Aaron Taylor Johnston who played Quicksilver in that film. It is instead Evan Peters who played Quicksilver in the Brian Singer era X-Men films. Specifically X- Amazing. X-Men Days of Future Past. Yeah. Which was absolutely stunning. It's It sends your mind reeling. And then I, we hear Darcy say, oh my gosh, she recast Pietro? Question yeah. mark. Now, this could be just, hey, here's a little fun Easter egg. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know? It ain't. And it ain't. Or it could be the thing that cracks open the entire MCU multiverse and introduces us to the idea of the X-Men being in the MCU. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but and by ja- the way, we, I, I believe we, we even like uh, touched on this a little. Like yeah. this show could be the thing that opens the gateway for the X-Men. And this is, this is why I'm excited. Because I always loved Evan Peters in those movies. Um, and Evan Peters, by the way, became this great like go-to TV actor. Ryan Murphy has used him a ton across all of his shows. And dude is super talented. So I'm excited to see where this goes. Jeff, yeah. what was your reaction? Tell me, tell me about your thought process when you saw Evan Peters. I, be, I believe you tweeted it. Uh, in fact, um, I yeah, I, I mean, so your mind reels uh, yeah. immediately because of the ramifications of what this could mean. Now we know that Disney has acquired Fox and the rights to all of the X Men characters. We anticipate that these characters are going to be folded in to the overall Marvel strategy in some way. If they're going to be actually brought into the MCU proper, then one imagines that this is that first step. Now, we talked, the last time we talked about WandaVision originally about it sort of being an inverted telling of House of M, which is a Brian Michael Bendis uh sort of a crossover series from several years ago where that, that it really focuses on Wanda Maximoff on Scarlet Witch. Uh, and she is, is in the center role. The, the, the plot of that, of that crossover is Wanda is so distraught about her twin children uh, being taken from her 
that she refolds space and time, reality itself, and says no more mutants. And all of the mutants lose their powers because she is that powerful herself. Wow. Now, you know, so <laughs> clearly we're in that wheelhouse. You know, we've got the twins. <laughs> we've got her kind of obsessing about them, freaking out, not understanding what's going on with them. Those twins in the thing that's that is so fun for a, a comic book fan is you don't know right now. I don't know how deep Marvel's going, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. How much they're bringing in because those two kids in the comics grow up to be founding members of the Young Avengers. They are very important characters in and of themselves. The the uh, House of M, right? We we talked about maybe it being an inverted version of that, where instead of she says no more mutants, now maybe this is how we get mutants in some way. We also know the next phase that we're about to embark on here with the with the Doctor Strange film and the next Spider Man film are all about Kang and the multiverse. So if you if you think that Marvel's maybe working on this idea that maybe Wanda is plucking versions of characters from another reality, another a strain of the universe, another timeline. And if Marvel is going to somehow unify the entire Fox timeline of X-Men films with the Marvel timeline and have them be two divergent realities that are now crossing over, we know the Spider-Man film is going to do some of that with other versions of Spider-Man movies. It is an as, as ambitious as... Thanos and the Infinity War and the Infinity Gems and all of that. This seems even more bonkers yes. and more wildly ambitious. And then one thinks, okay, well, if they pull that off, if that's the end game, quote unquote, end game of phase four, then phase five is definitely going to be X-Men versus Avengers, which was another huge crossover event. Why not have X-Men versus Avengers? Uh, I mean, that feels so exciting and wild and something to look forward to. And there are tons of clues and there's so much in this show already. I mean, we have another Captain Marvel potentially in this show. Um, Monica Rambeau is is Captain Marvel in the comics, right? We saw her as a child in the 90s in the first Captain Marvel movie. And now here she is here with the same haircut as basically as the as the uh, comic book version of Captain Marvel. Uh, radiated by by cosmic energy. She's talking about cosmic rays, which are what created the Fantastic Four. You know, it's like it's like I, I, everything <laughs> is all happening. Yeah, it's all happening. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah, fa the Fantastic Four. The idea because she uh, Monica Rambo makes oblique reference to like who should we get that really is good at astrophysics or something. Right, like that. And it's right. like I, I know if, one. Yeah, I, I know, know someone who's good at astrophysics. We're talking about cosmic rays. She keeps keeps saying cosmic rays. This cosmic rays. That cosmic rays is what you know the the Fantastic Four were pelted with to turn them into superheroes. Um, it just feels like it's all this next tier of 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 superheroes is all going to be flowing out of of this crazy wacky show on the Disney Plus. It's, it's it, so Can you cool. imagine if this is the show that is going to bring together MCU, X-Men and uh and Fantastic Four together into one I think it's a much universe. longer play than that. I think this is this is the first domino right. of of what will eventually get there. But I mean, basically we're already seeing it, right? We just watched uh, you know, Quicksilver from the X-Men movies walk into 
Scarlet Witch from the Marvel movies. Like that that envision, you know, they that 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 has happened already. So we're already there. Yeah. So uh a few few reactions to to all that's going on. First of all, uh a few weeks ago, Kevin Feige was asked when are the X-Men going to be integrated into the uh into the MCU. Um and he basically says like uh, it's still like quite a ways off, right? Um, which is just god tier trolling, in my opinion, because he <laughs> yeah. knew that this was going to happen. And so, just a few weeks ago, he's like, "Yeah, it's still, it's still on the way. It's not coming yet." Uh, in 2019, when he gave an interview, he said, "It's still years. It's still a long while away," is what he said. Um, so I just love that he's just kind of like, like uh, not showing his hand, plays the cards really close to the vest. Uh, I enjoy that. Uh, second thing is, I love how you put it, Jeff, this idea that introducing superhero characters and then bringing them all together into these major event films like Avengers and Endgame and so on, that's a big deal. But, but what could possibly top that, right? Right, is the question. exactly. And the answer to that question may be introducing superheroes from other universes, right? Like from, right. from whole other sets of films, like to sort of spider- retroact- retroactively, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, turn the last 30 years of movies across multiple companies into one cohesive story. I, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. what? So ready player one was right guys. Uh, ready yeah. player one had it right all along. Yeah. <laughs> It's just, it's just like to even contemplate how ambitious it is is just it's I I am my mind is reeling. Also, at the same time, I want to temper my expectations because I do think it is possible that hey, it's just a little fun mm-hmm. casting Easter. Yeah, it could be. But, but also, like, but, but, if they but can I have to do say, that. It's exciting. It's exciting get, that they're they're releasing we it week to week. Three and we don't know. Fucking Star Wars movies to make sense together, please. Sorry, sorry. I I won't stop going back to that. It's exciting that we don't know. Like this is as we're recording this right now, we don't know. We're probably going to find out this week whether or not Evan Peters is is supposed to be that Quicksilver. Um, but it's just fun to to be in this kind of liminal space where we don't know what is actually going to happen with this thing. And uh, I enjoy the fact that they're releasing it week to week, gives us stuff to talk about and think about. So, um, Devendra, any other thoughts on on this week's episode of Wandavision, season one, episode five? No, I think we pretty much covered it. Uh, it's exciting because, as I've talked about, like I'm a huge X-Men fan as well. I'm a bigger X-Men fan than I am of the Avengers, right? So those movies meant a lot to me. And to see where they went down and how far they've fallen and what they did with Apocalypse and Dark Phoenix, like, yeah, it needs a reboot. Um, I, I hope they do these characters justice. I'm just not ready for a new Wolverine. I don't think my heart is ready for that yet. Jeff, have you heard about the casting news for the new Spider-Man movie? Like, unfortunately, yeah. I would rather have been surprised yeah. by. It. I mean, can you imagine how mind-blowing that would be if it just happened? I know. In the context of watching the movie, but, I mean, but it's come like on. When, when when the casting news broke, I'm like, it doesn't really. It sounds weird and potentially dumb, right? Like what they're doing. But now, if if what you're saying is correct about this introducing the multiverse, it all makes sense now. And it yeah. makes me super amped for Spider-Man 3, right? Like, oh, now yeah. I'm like, and, what, and what is going to happen there? Doctor Strange, right? I think Doctor right. Strange is going to, uh, it's called something and something multiverse, right? Doctor Strange um, in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah. By Sam Raimi. Uh, Come on. Let's get excited about that. Going to, that. I mean, that movie is going to be bonkers, too. I mean, if it's literally, he's the first guy, like, dancing between all these different realities, 
it's going to be crazy and awesome. And this phase just seems so, so cool on so many levels. You know, they've, they've already introduced time travel in the, in the MCU. And this is, this is, this is what I loved when I was 12 years old with Marvel comics, you know, is that I, I, I bought the, the Spider-Man book and I bought mm-hmm. the Thor book and I bought the Captain America book. And then every summer there was, there was secret wars or something crazy where they all were going to get, came together and all these crossovers and the, you know, the X-Men family of books did this, you know, Chris Claremont did it more and better than anybody. It was like all these different books were happening. And then every summer it was like this big, huge event. And like to do that on this scale with TV shows and movies and all these different properties, it's just, it's so awesome. And I know, you know, I know this is the only kind of content we get anymore, but at least they're doing it well, you know, at least it's exciting and fun. It's exciting now, but it is also, you know, the thing we were worried about too, of like, there's just going to be one movie studio, you know, in the future. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's going it's to be all Disney. And as long as they give us the good drugs, you know, we'll be happy. But after a while, you know, you're you're mad at what they did to Star Wars. It's the same company. It's the same company <laughs> who screwed up Star Wars is giving you all this good Marvel stuff. So that is that's uh, yeah, I, I worry about Disney just becoming bigger and bigger and so powerful. I wish uh, I kind of wish they were still separate. Like, I would love to see the X-Men, you know, be rebooted in a world that didn't have to deal with the the legacy of the MCU or anything. Um, maybe I just got a little tired of the MCU movies, so I want something fresh. But yeah, we, we get, yeah. We, you know, say what you will about the X-Men cinematic universe, but we'd get uh, genuinely unique creations like Logan mm-hmm. and also, uh, to a lesser extent, New Mutants. <laughs> You know what Deadpool, I mean? But like, like, Deadpool's in there. Deadpool, like, made Deadpool, the R. You know, yeah, those are comic movie a thing. Yeah. If if uh, Fox was owned by Disney, you know, ten years ago, Deadpool probably never would have happened, right? Um, so it's just nice. It was nice when you had uh, a movie studio that was a little bit more desperate and willing to take bigger swings with the property. Competition uh, is great. So. Competition is great. Competition for Sony to make that like deal with uh with marvel as well to kind of make spider-man happen like it is for me conflict and competition is sort of the heart of creativity you know and when things get too easy things get too big it's like oh yeah we can we can make anything happen we are you know the mickey mouse company we can make our tv shows look like feature films um which we've seen time and again the mandalorian looks better than most science fiction films we see um yeah, I, I worry about like the struggle, us losing that struggle a bit. Indeed, I, I don't disagree with you guys, but also if you're talking big swings, I, I, you have to say WandaVision Vision is a big swing. It's That's a, a big, big swing. swing. You know who did that uh, first, and I think hit me even harder, Mister M Night Shyamalan with the end <laughs> of uh, Split. Come yeah, on, no, believe me, I you know yeah, I'm I'm I, all for. Yeah. I'm all for that. We, I, I've, yeah, that wasn't in, incredible. I don't think his payoff movie was that <laughs> sure. great, but you know, it was yeah. fine. It was fine. Uh, but I, I agree. I'm really like uh, Timothy Mabley in the chat room uh, as we're broadcasting live says like the stakes of Phase Force finale has got to be the fate of the entire multiverse, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. If uh, if the the stakes of Phase Three were the fate of the universe, this is going to be the fate of the multiverse. Which I'm like, wow, okay, respect. That that is the way you are taking up the stakes is it's not just our universe anymore. You're bringing others into it. I'm excited and looking forward to chatting with you guys uh, about the entire show 
uh, when it wraps up in a few weeks. So uh, those are our thoughts on WandaVision Season 1, Episode 5. pretty good Woo. yeah that was really good just feel it we're not in i saw the anymore. flickering i saw the flickering pages go by in my mind <laughs> in reverse though right jeff in yeah, reverse. yeah yeah in reverse. it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor hello fresh oh my gosh do i love hello fresh i use it every week my wife and i love hello fresh let me just pull up the app right now and check out what i've got coming up this week arriving at my house Cranberry Dijon pork tenderloin, Thai coconut curry chicken, and chicken sausage rigatoni napolitano. I mean, come on. HelloFresh is giving me fresh, pre-measured ingredients and mouth-watering seasonal recipes that are delivered right to my door. I get to pick out from over 23 recipes every week. It's such a delight to select the recipes I'm going to get every single week. I get variety in my menu. I get to cook fresh home-cooked meals for my family. I get to be the one falling in love with cooking, but also providing for my family. It's amazing. They take away all the stress points of planning, of grocery store trips. I don't have to do any of that stuff. I can just enjoy the cooking and get dinner on the table in about 30 minutes or less. It's great. Eating healthier has never been easier. They have low-cal, carb-smart, vegetarian, pescatarian options every single week. And no matter what you choose, Every single recipe is packed with fresh produce sourced directly from farmers. Cut down on the grocery bills. You can save up to 40% instead of shopping at your local store. HelloFresh delivers pre-portioned ingredients, so you're not overbuying. Stuff's not going bad in your fridge. It's a burden on the planet and your wallet. You're getting out of all of that. HelloFresh offers the flexibility you need with customizable orders every week. You can easily change your delivery days or food preferences or even skip a week whenever you need. It's great. I have been using HelloFresh for years now. We look forward to it every week. We build our entire menu of our weekly food consumption in this family around HelloFresh. So join us. Go to HelloFresh.com FilmCast10 and use the code FilmCast10 for 10 free meals. 10 free meals, including free shipping. Again, HelloFresh.com slash FilmCast10 and the promo code FilmCast10 will get you 10 free meals. H-E-L-L-O-F-R-E-S-H dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T-1-0. Hey folks, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, Quip. Quip! Oh, I love my Quip toothbrush. I love my Quip floss. But now, guess what? There's a third component. Gum. That's right, gum. Gum is the unsung hero when it comes to better oral health. The American Dental Association recommends chewing sugar-free gum for 20 minutes after meals. I love chewing gum. And now it's actually good for me. Gum is something people chew as a way to relieve stress, curb appetites, and most importantly, freshen your breath. But many people don't realize that gum can also be an integral part of a healthy oral care routine. Quip gum... Yeah, that's right. Quip has made gum. They've reinvented gum like they reinvented the toothbrush. 
Quip gum can help prevent cavities and freshen breath when chewed for 20 minutes after eating. It's sugar-free, it has tooth-friendly xylitol with zero calories, and to satisfy your taste buds, Quip added a long-lasting mint flavor, crunchy, tri-layer design, and stamped it all with the classic Quip tongue. That's pretty great. It's got a slick, travel-ready dispenser. It's really slim, it's nice, comes in five different colors, metal or plastic. I, I have one of these things. It's so cool, it looks like the future. Doesn't look like uh, obnoxious paper gum packs. It protects up to 10 gum pieces at a time, and it fits just about any purse or pocket for your on-the-go needs. And right now, we all need to be extra safe and hygienic, so their quick release button means you can still share with your friends. No wrappers, no hands, no hassles. This is not a substitute for brushing or flossing, but this is a great support for your oral health. Pair it with the Quip electric toothbrush for adults and kids, the refillable floss, and more great products. You'll be on top of your oral hygiene game. In addition to gum packs, Quip also delivers fresh brush head, floss, and toothpaste refills every three months from five bucks. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the misery of in-store shopping. So join the over five million mouths already using Quip. Get chewing for less than two bucks per gum pack. And if you go to getquip.com slash filmcast right now, you can get a free plastic dispenser with any refill plan. That's a free dispenser at getquip.com slash filmcast, spelled G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Quip, the good habits company. All right, let's move on to what else we've been watching this week. Jeff Kanata, hit us with what you've been watching. Uh, I checked out a show, I think Devendra mentioned on the show before. Did yeah, you? yeah. The first okay. season of Search Party. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Search Party. I am halfway through season two. Boy, I dig this show. We uh, basically, my wife and I binged uh, a season and a half in like two mm-hmm. days. It's really good. Uh, yeah. It is really good. This feels like uh, a, a show more people should be talking about. It's on HBO Max now, but I don't think it. Did it start its life there? It started somewhere else, right? It was on HBO. Because it, it, it's structured to have commercial breaks. And I'm pretty sure it was uh, on TBS originally. TBS, yeah. yes. And then yes. HBO, yes, Max, right. yeah. HBO Max acquired it and made it an um, uh, HBO Max original. So, yeah, it, yeah, it's definitely structured to have commercial breaks. And you feel the the excising of those commercials because it'll have a jump cut at a certain point. I was like, oh, that's where a commercial went. Um, but... This show is is about a group of folks. Uh, there is a, a a girl who goes missing, and they all went to college with her. Didn't really know her. Didn't really have much of a connection to her. But the fact that she goes missing, one of the the main character in the show gets kind of obsessed with that fact. Even though she doesn't have any real connection to this woman, she wants to figure out what happened. And then at uh, I think in episode one, she sees the girl alive somewhere. Um, so it's all about kind of figuring out what happened, but. The show is much more than that. It's a it's a a half hour comedy in the sort of single cam wacky half hour comedy style that we know well in you know the uh, Parks and Rec and I mean not there's no talking to camera but that that's kind of like a sitcom where it can be goofy and over the top but also at the same time the show handles emotional truth of what's going on the the actual inner life of all these characters in a raw Mm -hmm. dark and very interesting way so it's almost like this you know hour-long hbo or netflix drama trapped inside 
a 22 minute sitcom. And the way those two tones play against each other is fascinating. It's really, really cool. I'm laughing and, and, and giggling at certain, you know, goofy situational moments or characters that behave in, in very uh, exaggerated sitcom-y ways. And then also there's like scenes of, of trauma and, 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 you know, uh, heart-wrenching kind of uh, going through these deep moments and you feel for a lot of characters and there's a lot of very, um, very dark subject matter. There's, you know, there's, it, it kind of goes through the fallout. What would it be like if you murdered someone or you, you know, you cheated on someone. Oh, yeah, that does of, happen, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've it, always thought about what I'd feel like if I murdered someone. So, yeah. well, no, I mean the like classic mistake, but no, 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 no. <laughs> so you, maybe you're not understanding what I'm saying, or maybe I'm yeah, not yeah. being uh, clear about it. The, the idea is like in a sitcom, there's like the wacky or not some not sitcom, but maybe a, a, a broad comedy. You know, there's there's the moment where the person dies and you shove them in the closet and oh, my God, their foot pops out. And, oh, you know, that kind of wacky like death as a as a punchline. And, and this show does that. But then also later is like, oh, oh my God, we killed someone, <laughs> you know, like. How do? What's that about? We're really, uh, is, really dropping a, a major spoiler into this conversation, Jeff. Because uh, I guess that's true. Does, I probably should have not that. start out. Um, I mean, we can. I, I feel like it's been several years at this point, so it's like, yeah. I was like, uh, wait, fine. someone dies in this? Thanks, Jeff. I, I think, it, but this show <laughs> does go somewhere. Like, I, I gave up in the middle of season two. I think just because uh, when this show was running, guys, like it started in twenty sixteen. I was I was drowning in shows about like uh you know twenty something hipsters in New York. There were so many shows about that. Um, so I think now it's time for me to like go back and get into it. And it's certainly going to make me miss New York as well. But yeah, I'm I'm glad you're digging it, Jeff. Uh, I'm looking forward to catching up. Yeah, I, I really like it. I think the performances are all really strong, and the characters Elias are Shawkat. It's great. Yeah, she's great. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think the characters are all fun and funny and in. You know, it, it, yeah, I, I dig it. Search Party, check it out. I I like it a lot. All right, that's Search Party. It's on HBO Max. Devinder Hardwar hit us with a couple things you've been watching. A couple things real quick. I have seen Earwig and the Witch, which is the, uh, it is the Goro Miyazaki movie that is, I believe, exclusive to HBO Max. And yes. uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, let me say up front, I hate this movie. I think I absolutely hate this movie. Wow. Um, this is Studio Ghibli's very first CG animated movie. Mm. And it looks like trash. It just looks like complete garbage. And it could just be because I'm in a weird place because uh, in my life, uh, Ghibli is playing like, uh, you know, 24 seven, basically. Like I'm always yeah. there and I've seen, I've seen all the, like at least the kid friendly ones dozens of times uh probably hundreds of times by this point because my daughter is obsessed and i want her to see the good stuff you know she likes the good things and not like the the random like youtube cartoon so i i'm down with that and i'm happy to like give her some screen time with that but yeah this this movie it's about a girl who is uh orphaned at the beginning and she she grows up to i guess she's sort of like a witch and she gets adopted by these people who also have magic powers. She gets adopted by a witch. And that is it. That's the movie. And I don't think, I, I think this movie just doesn't have anything that makes Ghibli movies typically good. Like the characters are kind of awful. The uh, the lead character, the, uh, you know, earwig herself, 
Um, she she's just kind of an annoying little brat who uses her magic to control people around her. And I was just never really with her as I would be in like a typical like a Ghibli heroine or something. So I don't like them. Uh, I, d- I don't like her. I don't like the surrounding characters. There's nothing really funny or interesting happening in this movie. Uh, it is adapted by a Diana Wynne Jones now uh, from a Diana Wynne Jones novel. And they uh, Miyazaki did that before with Howl's Moving Castle. Um, but I don't think this is a particularly great source material compared to like how rich and interesting houses like this movie is pretty straightforward and simple uh but yeah the ultimate sin is that it just it is it looks like garbage it looks like cheap cg animation um maybe they were constrained by like tv movie budgets in a way like this was not a movie meant to be uh theatrically released but the characters are stiff the facial animations have no detail or nuance the backgrounds are sometimes interesting to look at but there's no life to it um and the thing about ghibli movies is that they're just they're gorgeous to look at there is immense levels of detail in so many things um i've been rewatching ponyo on the cliff quite a bit uh, miyazaki hand drew he hand drew the waves and the water in that movie and you can tell just by watching it and this movie just feels like, yeah, it, it was created by a machine to mimic what Ghibli does and doesn't do it very well. So, yeah, stay away from this movie. I hate it. Wow. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, this film has a 31%. That's fair. Yeah. And the critics' consensus is, quote, with a story as uninspired as its animation, Earwig and the Witch is a surprising and near total misfire for Studio Ghibli. End quote. So, looks like other critics agree with you on this one, Devendra. And I'm sorry. Yeah, that have, also, so also I have to say, uh, poor, poor Goro, poor Goro Miyazaki, who, if you've seen the uh, the documentaries I've talked about, like, uh, what was the, I believe, I forget the name of that exact documentary, but there is one. Kingdom of Dreams and Madness. Kingdom of Dreams and Madness, yes. Where you see the relationship between him and his father. And it is so it is so interesting. Like somebody's going to make like a story, a dramatized version of that story at some point, because you have Hayao Miyazaki, a genius, a talent, an industry legend. And he is somebody, despite making these really like, um, you know, friendly movies and movies that are really hopeful and about inspiring the next generation. He kind of hates people. He's kind of a misanthrope. Like he, he, he has no, hope really for adults or the state of the world like he he puts all his hope into kids and that's how he channels his art to make movies for kids um but yeah he does not treat goro very well and goro's like always just underneath the shadow of his father it is very much uh it's it's sort of like the jiro dreams of sushi situation too where like no matter how good you are uh you cannot match up to your legendary father so you know it's a shame it's a shame to see like i think tales from earth sea uh another that was goro's first movie that was based on the ursula k Le Guin novel uh also not not like super inspired you know it wasn't terrible but it wasn't it wasn't a hayao miyazaki movie and you could tell i'm just gonna give this random observation i spent i would say a good 18 seconds uh convinced that earwig and the witch was somehow in the same Cinematic as universe and the angry as, inch. as Hedwig and the Angry yep, Inch. Yep. I'm also making that very, mistake mentally. It's very different. We, yeah, it's a very very different movie. First of all, than than <laughs> Earwig and the Witch. Um, <laughs> but but the thing that first of all they have kind of have the same kind of title structure of like Earwig and the Witch, yeah. Hedwig and the Angry. They're also both they about have, rock and roll in a weird yeah, way. They, like they rock and roll plays wig. a key thing. They both have wig in the title. 
Um, they do. They do. They both have words that rhyme with uh, witch, kind of. Um, yeah, yeah. And and the cover <laughs> of both films is a character grabbing a microphone and like screaming yeah. into it. It is rock and, and roll. It is. I wish it had some of the Hedwig energy because <laughs> come, this movie is just lifeless. Have I told you guys about this my is... experience seeing Hedwig in uh, in person? By the way, no, no. Uh, I, I don't think I've mentioned this, but I got my wife uh, almost front row tickets. It was like second row tickets. It was when Michael C. Hall was playing Hedwig, right? And so that's the a theatrical really... production of Hedwig in the idea. Yes, the yeah. Broadway. It was on Broadway. Yeah. Took my wife to see it. She was very like excited, and we like we love Michael C. Hall, you know. So I'd be yeah. down with that. That's a very bombastic role. That's a role in which Hedwig uh, often gets out into the audience and like will grind on people and will like just jump all over people. So at some point during that uh, that performance, uh, Michael C. Hall jumped on top of the front, the guy that was sitting right in front of me and just started like gyrating his crotch in that guy's face. So I'm sitting right behind this guy. So I think at one point, like I was just like my my own face was like a foot away from Michael C. Hall's crotch. That's my Hedwig story. Good night, saw, everybody. I mean, it sounds like you got a great. It sounds like you got like I got my money. Great story. value for your money. Yeah, it's what I so, wanted. Yeah, congratulations, congratulations. Earwig and the witch sounds like the <laughs> transmorphers to Transformers. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> right, it's yeah. the it's the transmorphers version of Hedwig and the Angry yeah. Inch. <laughs> it's like it's the, very much transmorphers Ghibli. Like yeah, straight to DVD. Fair. Like our entire our entire marketing strategy is that we're gonna fool grandma and she's gonna <laughs> accidentally gonna, get this one for the kids. It's by a Miyazaki, you know. <laughs> Somebody's looking for Hedwig and the Angry Inch. They turn this on instead. That's yeah, that, that's that all is their we'll get entire them, marketing yeah? strategy. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> Okay. Uh, don't watch that movie. It's on HBO Max. Don't watch uh, that movie. Harder, what else have you been watching? Briefly, I just wanted to talk about Coda, which is the Sundance award-winning film. That was the one that also, I believe, Apple bought for $25 million, the biggest purchase ever at Sundance. And uh, I saw it uh, on the last day of the show. It is, uh, it is probably the most crowd-pleasing thing I've seen. Uh, at Sundance this year, it is about a child of deaf adults, and it's a it's basically a high school story because it's about this girl named Ruby who is going you know going through high school, kind of an outcast because her family are um, it's a it's a fisherman family you know on in one of the coastal towns outside of Boston, and um, she, but her family's also deaf and she's the only hearing one in her family, so she ends up playing this role where. She has to, you know, kind of help them out. She has to interpret for people who are, you know, who are trying to interact with her family. She often she spends her mornings out in the fishing boat. So by the time she gets to school, she smells like, you know, a fisherman. Um, So there are all these things like outcasting her. And it's about this girl who's just trying to find herself and try to, you know, manage her allegiances to her family while also, you know, trying to find her own path in this world. And uh, I think it's really heartwarming. I cannot wait till we can talk about it because I'm sure there's going to be a full review of this. Um, But yeah, I can see why Apple paid $25 million for this movie because it's a sort of thing where you watch it and I don't know how you can, you can't not love this movie because it's so sweet. Um, The high school stuff isn't, I wouldn't say isn't like super new or anything. Like it reminds me a lot of, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, was it almost seventeen? Was the there's so many we we've gone through so many high school movies recently. Um, you know, I'm thinking of like uh, tr- was the Greta the Greta Gerwig one as well? 
names just escape me right now because it's very late. I've been watching Greta Gerwig high school movie. Is that what you're referring? Lady Bird? Yeah. Lady Bird. Yeah. Lady Bird. Like a lot of the like high school films seem like they start to deal with similar things, but like this outcast trying to survive the onslaught of high school with her one friend who is kind of quirky and, um, you know, and she, she, they're fighting for freedom. And this movie is basically that, but I think the, the world around it is so unique and so interesting. Um, has a great cast to uh, Marley Matlin plays her mother. So it's always great to see her in things too. And yeah, her entire family is played by deaf actors. And I think their relationship, seeing how they you know interact with her and sort of the pressure put on her as the only hearing person in that family, I think is really, it's, it's interesting. It kind of reminds me of um, almost like the, the pressure, like immigrant kids face, you know, when, they have to translate for their parents and do a lot of work for them and their family, their family's livelihood depends on them. Uh, it is, it's an astounding movie. I think it's really heartwarming. So yeah, I can't wait until it's fully released so we can all talk about it. Yeah. I imagine that's going to be a slash film cast main review. So yeah, um, yeah. glad you enjoyed it. The movie's Coda and it'll be on Apple TV plus later this year. All right, gents, let's get the weekly plugs. Mm-hmm. This is weird. I wanted them to be super excited. Rods, reels, and romance. So good. We're texting each other furiously. I love that you did that. Unsolicited. Let me tell you. I think in a way, it takes a lot to get us to furiously text. So good. Unsolicited. All over the place. So good. So good. Let the internet have its way. Plugs. Plugs. I forgot how we'll cut. We'll so, so much better that one. That was so much better. I forgot yeah. how completely incomprehensible that is. It's so it's much better. Uh, <laughs> it's a little more inclusive than the other one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I mean, yeah. okay, they're both great guys. Okay, they're both they're created by different people. I just they're feel both like great. one works a little better. That's all. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They're both great. Noah Ross did a great job with the original theme, and I think it was Thomas Medina that did the second, the remix. Um, Weekly Plugs is the part of the show each week where we plug something we've been in that we recommend or something that we haven't been in that we recommend. This week, I want to plug an interview I did. I had a chance to chat with Ryan Broderick, uh, a journalist who covers internet culture. We talked about Wall Street bets and a bunch of other random stuff that happened on the internet over the course of the last 10 years. Um, so check that out conversation over at culturally relevant and uh the internet's a really weird place and uh yeah, i think yeah. ryan, Bro- ryan broderick um used to write one of my favorite features over at buzzfeed mm-hmm. called like the the worst things on the internet if you guys ever read this thing the worst things on the internet Absolutely. Uh, yeah every yeah. every year they would publish this thing called the 50 worst things on the internet in the year you know 2019 or whatever the heck and if you look at it it, it just it, it, it's just so horrifying, guys. It's just so horrifying. It's Listen, like, I'm on the internet all day, every day. Was, I know. I feel it. Only yeah. there was some way to know based on the title. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm going to... I, I, this is the one from 2019, okay? Um, and I'm not going to... I can't... I can't really read it to you because it's, it's mostly images. But number eight on the list is uh, something called This Cooking Tutorial. And basically, I'm just going to describe what it is. Somebody pouring Gatorade into a pot, putting cauliflower into it, <laughs> cooking it until the cauliflower is green, and then serving it with uh, bacon and eggs. <laughs> That's oh, uh, green cauliflower and ham. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Gatorade flavored. Anyway, it's healthy. So, it's healthy because it's cauliflower. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So that was my conversation. With the, uh, we, I talked with Ron Broderick about internet culture, Wall Street bets, GameStop, and a bunch of other cool stuff. Check that out at Culturally Relevant. Devendra, your weekly plug. 
Uh, yeah, we did two episodes of the Engadget podcast this week. Uh, we did one with my uh, managing editor, Terrence O'Brien, where we you know we both talk about the movies we saw. So it's a lot of the things we've already talked about here, but also we dive into the VR experiences and you know what it was like walking around and talking to people in VR in Sundance, and that was pretty wild. Um, and also, I chatted with Rodney Asher, the director of A Glitch in the Matrix, and nice. uh, yeah, and Natalia Almada, the director of Users. Actually, I should have put glitch in the matrix up on this thing too uh but maybe next week when you guys get to see it we could chat about that yeah let's uh you know i i missed some stuff in the yeah. what we've been watching i realized so maybe let's do that in the after dark um sure sure i i, I just realized as i was as we were wrapping up the what we've been watching there's a couple things so let's talk about okay. glitch in the matrix let's talk about uh, i watched the britney documentary so let's talk about that ah, as well yeah um, but uh wait we, we had a good chat so if you want to know what makes rodney asher tick be sure to subscribe to the engadget podcast jeff canada your weekly plug it's almost Valentine's Day, fellas. It's almost Valentine's Day, and you do not want to let your loved one down, do you? Well, I'm here to save the day. Save the day for you. If you've waited to the last minute, if you don't know what to get, there is nothing that your loved one will value more than a specially crafted, personalized limerick. That's right. Limericks at cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata, delivered by yours truly, written by yours truly. You can have a finely crafted, beautiful keepsake that you'll cherish forever. A limerick. Nothing says I love you more. Nothing says I rhyme with you better than a limerick. <laughs> Nailed it, Jeff. Nailed it, Jeff. Cameo.com slash Jeff Kanata. Get those limericks in. Get those requests in. It's a great for any occasion, but especially... Valentine's Day. Those are our weekly plugs for this week. We want to thank people who've donated to the Slash Filmcast as well during this time. Uh, people haven't really been donating that much because uh, most of them have been uh, heading over to our Patreon, over at patreon.com slash film podcast. And that's uh, great. And that's yeah, great. We love that. We, we yeah. encourage that. But every once in a while, we'll still get a donation over at paypal.me slash filmcast. So we want to give a big shout out to Michael Riley who donated recently. Thank you so much for your support. And uh, also got this message from Emily Toy, who asked about uh, a quick uh, Valentine's Day shout-out to her husband, Tim Toy, uh, who's been wonderful over the past year at helping their two girls while working from home. Um, so uh, happy Valentine's Day, Tim Toy. Yay, um, Tim. Those are our uh, shout-outs for this week. And those are our weekly plugs. Let me jump in here and tell you that today we are welcoming a new sponsor to the show. Welcome, IP Vanish. What is IP Vanish? Well, IP Vanish is a virtual private network, a VPN for short. A VPN is a super important tool that helps you safely browse the internet. You can use a VPN on your computers, on your tablets, on your phones, even things like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. And when you use a VPN, all your data is encrypted. What you're reading, what you're searching, what you're watching, whatever it is you're doing. And IP Vanish is just $3.49 a month. For just $3.49 a month or $27.99 a year, you can help protect your online privacy and security. Here's everything you get with IP Vanish anonymous IP addresses, that means your personal IP address can't be tracked by anyone on the web. You can circumvent any online censorship. 
IPVanish has more than 1,500 servers in over 70 locations. You can get protection when using public Wi-Fi. Remember, with IPVanish, all your data is encrypted, so no one can snoop on what you're doing. So go to IPVanish.com slash filmcast and claim your 65% savings. They have plans that start at just $349 a month or $27.99 a year. This is the time to sign up. With our discount and their current promotional offerings, you can get a VPN for 65% off their usual offering. IPVanish is the best of the best, even rating 4.7 out of 5 on Trustpilot, and that's with more than 6,000 reviews. Show these guys some love. Remember, it's IPVanish.com slash filmcast to get the deal and start protecting yourself online. I-P-V-A-N-I-S-H dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Let's get to our review of The Dig. Should we take a look at them then? Right. Things like this are usually done through museums. Yes, but with the war coming, they couldn't embark upon any new ventures. Well, I've been on digs since I was old enough to hold a trowel. My father taught me. What are they? We're standing in someone's graveyard, I reckon. Viking? Oh, maybe older. Mr. Brown is an archaeologist. Well, I'm an excavator. You've come to dig up the mounds. So you think there's something beneath? Who are those men? They're from the museum. Gods! This is pretty. I think you'd better come and see. That was from the trailer for The Dig, the newest film by director Simon Stone. I'm going to read the plot summary from IMDb. An archaeologist embarks on the historically important excavation of Sutton Hoo in 1938. Sutton Hoo? Sutton Hoo. Sorry. Sutton Hoo. I'm going to let that one go, Jeff. Okay. 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 Hardwar, this is a movie about uh, some people digging a hole in some guy's backyard or someone's backyard, yeah, I should say. Yeah. Uh, which is not does not sound like a riveting premise for a movie. So my it question doesn't. for you is, did this movie make that premise into something that you found interesting? Oh, absolutely. I, I adore this movie. Um, I, I think, yeah, describing it does seem like one of those things like, I want you guys to watch a period piece, <laughs> you know, a period piece set in the precipice to World War II, but not actually involved a war, you know, like we're, we're kind of on the outskirts of it, um, you know, starring some classic actors like Ray Fiennes and Carrie Mulligan. But, uh, you know, they're, they're going to be digging a hole in the dirt. Uh, please watch my movie. Um, I, I think describing it is tough, but I, I, I think this movie does a great job of the the dig is about so much, right? Because uh, I I was vaguely aware of the Sutton Hoo excavation, kind of what they found. It was something that always kind of interested me, but also this idea, right, of finding something that is potentially over a thousand years old, you know, and how that connects you to history in a way. Um, I don't know if you guys have had an experience like. Um, I don't know, just encountering something that is just supremely old. Like my, my one thing, right, is um, uh, when I was in Barcelona, I've traveled a couple times for business trips. And that's the only place. Actually, no, I, I had to go to Germany at some point, too. But Barcelona, they have the special exhibition of um, one of the Roman columns 
or a couple Roman columns. And it is just this thing in uh, old Barcelona that's surrounded by apartment buildings. But you can sit there next to it and look at this thing that is just so old and feel yourself and your relationship to history. You know, even though there are people just living in apartments on the other side of these Roman columns. It's really weird. This movie kind of gave them gave me that experience of kind of unearthing history. It's about these people uh, trying to figure out their connections to it, but also what, you know, the, the things you leave behind, what that means for the future, too. Like, this is a movie that is deeply existential. It's about people who are they have uncertain futures ahead and. In, in one case, like not much of a long future either, but they want to leave their lasting impact on the world. And they do this by unearthing something that's been around forever. So it is a movie that really deals with the nature of time and of what we bring to the world and what we leave behind. And I found that all really, really fascinating and great performances all around too. Like, a, you know, it's, it's Ray Fiennes. He can, I, I feel like Ray Fiennes could do a role like this in his sleep, but it's really also great to see Carrie Mulligan um, you know, back, unrecognizable, back another, unrecognizable I, from her role in uh, a yeah. promising young woman, which we it is just jarring. Yeah. It's jarring to see her going from that movie to this, where I think they kind of aged her up a little too. Cause I yeah. had read some interviews where like, it, technically this character should be like 50 years old. I don't think that really hurts the movie and the relationship she has with Ray Fine's character is a, it's sort of like indefinable, right? They're not, it's not really romantic. They just have a connection around this discovery into the past. But I think she is, phenomenal and uh, you know, i was just really more into this movie than i expected you know, it's it's a movie about digging up the earth it's it's the the title is very descriptive there but <laughs> great title. it's about so much more yeah good title jeff canada thoughts on the dig well dave i guess you could say my thoughts on the dig are best summed up in the form of a limerick huh all right all right you can get your own at cameo.com slash jeff canada it can be satisfying to dig up what's underlying, and in this case, it means we face the truth of death and dying. Nice. nice. Nicely done. That one made me think a little bit, Jeff. Yeah. Well, I, I try to a throw a, a thinker in every once in a while, yeah. you know? Nice. Are, are you going to transition to the MASH theme song now? Like, that's what it feels like you're going. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I basically agree 100% with everything that Devinder just said. Uh, it is... A movie that completely took me by surprise in how engrossing it is. Mm -hmm. um, it is uh, wonderful performances. Uh, I've said many times on this show over the years that there's a part of me that thinks like the only the only topic that's even worth contemplating in art, <laughs> in a sense, is time. Like right, that's the right. thing we're like reckoning with is that we're all on this timeline and we're all going to die and what does it mean and why all art at a certain level is just dealing with that you know and i love movies that deal with it directly and and it is there it, it deals with it metaphorically it deals with it directly it deals with it on a number of levels and through the lens of a number of characters i i can't think of another movie offhand that starts about two people and then sort of shifts halfway through and sidelines those people to a certain extent and like focuses on other people. And it kind of does that almost subtly and, and actually very skillfully to the point where I didn't feel this jarring shift. It just like, it just expands. It's like the, 
the yeah, yeah. the world just grows a bit and we are now talking about a larger group of people and and these people are also fascinating and they're also dealing with the same kinds of issues but in a very different way um the the one thing that that I will add that Devendra didn't mention is this movie is shot Mm-hmm. absolutely beautifully it's oh, shot yeah. like a it david lean movie it it's looks like, like it's very terrence malick to me just like the elliptical yeah, editing ter- and everything too yeah i agree uh-uh. terrence malick a lot of handheld like following yeah. like chasing after people with the camera but also yeah. It, it, yeah. these these shots where like like a david lean movie where the the characters are at the very bottom of the frame and like two-thirds of it is sky yeah you know it's yeah. these incredible vistas where you just it just movie feels huge and gorgeous and the lighting is spectacular i mean it is a sumptuous movie in so many ways and about you know people digging stuff up in the Mm -hmm. backyard it's it's really it makes the the scope and scale feel much larger than it really is Mm -hmm. and how much these all of these characters are invested in these moments uh it, it does feel like this monumental activity and as davindra pointed out so well i I couldn't help but feel connected to history. It, you, it makes you reckon with how we are connected to our humanity, how how people have come before us and will come after us. And we are just this blip moment in time. And we are a part of this tapestry, this continuation of the human experience. And that those themes, that sort of larger than life, feeling of we are just we are just this tiny little breath in in a longer expression i found it to be really powerful and moving and just a complete surprise of a film i loved the dig awesome i'm really glad you guys both enjoyed it i i I echo the same thoughts uh this is a movie where I, (laughs) i started watching this movie and i was thinking to myself is this the whole thing? Them digging the hole? Is this going to be the <laughs> whole thing? It's in the title. Come on. <laughs> I'm like, I knew there was going to be a dig, but is this the whole movie? And in fact, it kind of, as you mentioned, Jeff, it starts with these kind of two characters played by Ray Fiennes and Cara Mulligan. And it kind of like spirals out from there, right? You see like more of the people that come in and interact with their lives. And you learn more about the characters and their history. One of the things I really appreciate about this movie that I don't think you guys mentioned is that something I appreciate about the film, everything I said, I love it, and I think it's all true, and I think that the movie is saying all that stuff. In addition to that, I think one of the things that the movie's trying to say is about, uh, that the movie conveys is the satisfaction of doing a job well, which is yeah, like kind of personified yeah. in the role of Ray Fiennes, right? And like, Beautiful, yeah. This idea of, hey, <laughs> he's kind of like, um, he reminds me of a... Harry Stamper, played by Bruce Willis in Armageddon, <laughs> whose <laughs> whose job it is to like dig holes well. And I'm like, well, you know what? It's basically like, the yeah. same movie. It's basically <laughs> the same movie. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's they're both about people who need to dig things. <laughs> and uh, yes. and really, yes. I, I should have done a Boom Goes the Dynamite about the two. You should have. Yeah. Um. I just, I just tried thinking of it right now. <laughs> on the but, verge, you know, yeah, yeah, on the verge of a c- cataclysmic, uh, right, cataclysmic global event. event. <laughs> yeah, uh, in which in which a guy needs to dig a hole, you know, in order yeah. to achieve salvation. Um, <laughs> but enough about Michael Bay's Armageddon. Okay, 
yeah, so I really enjoyed it. I thought the performance <laughs> the child was great. takes a bike and rides off uh, <laughs> out of passion. I don't know. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> People, it shows a, like a young couple having sex in the sunset, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right before so, one of them has to go off and do something y- terrifying. Y- yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Anyway. Right after they, yeah. yeah. Mm. <laughs> um, man, oh, man, missed opportunity, Jeff. Missed opportunity. Anyway. It really, really is. Really enjoyed the film. Guys, why don't we get the spoilers for The Dig starting right now? Now you're looking for the secret. I'm trying to see this coming. No. But you won't find it because, of course... You're not going to see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. So, one of the things that was obvious, like, for me, was very unpredictable. Like, it was, I did not... Uh, see this whole other romance happening. Also, the, uh-huh. the you, you mentioned the relationship between Carrie Mulligan's character and Ray Fiennes' character. I yeah. agree with you, Devendra, that they kind of tried to age her up. Like she was, she felt like she was supposed to be in her forties. Carrie Mulligan still felt in weird. real life still, still felt weird. weird to me. Yeah, still felt yeah. weird. Yeah, because at the beginning, you like it, it. They tease this like she kind of wants him to come to dinner, and it right. feels like she's really romantically interested in him. She's getting, like, dolled up and everything she's for him. Curious. Right? Yeah, she's curious about him. Like, you know, yeah, I get it. Yeah, and um, then her wife is, uh, excuse me, his wife is, like, the best lady ever. She's super nice and supportive <laughs> and awesome. Yeah. And you're like, yeah. why does this movie want me to feel about this, right. <laughs> this yeah. relationship? I was just like, what is what is happening? Who am I supposed to be rooting for here? Yeah, it's right. yeah. Com- for. yeah adult platonic relationships are pretty complex sometimes. Yeah. 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 You, you, you one might think, one might think. Um, but then there's the, uh, the Lily James character, right? And, like, um, and, which, by the way, apparently that whole thing... This this thing is based off of a true story, uh-huh. um, but that whole thing was fabricated, as far as I can recall. Like that whole love well, interest. Yeah, thing, it so. feels like it was written for a war movie. So yes, I I totally believe that. Yeah, uh, Peggy Piggott, and also by the way, uh, Ben Chaplin. Peggy Piggott, uh, top, plays top ten all time movie name. Peggy Piggott, yeah, <laughs> indeed. Ben Chaplin plays her husband, Ben, uh, and uh, Stuart, and he was one of the main characters in uh, Mad Dogs. The Amazon original series, if you guys oh, remember that. Oh, such a great Amazon original series. What, are they making a second season to that? No, it's been like 10 years. Oh, they put those so dogs good. down, Jeff. Like, that was so good, you guys. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Anyway, um, so it did feel, yeah, as you mentioned, you could kind of see that this is, these this movie is leaning into the war movie cliches there, right? With mm-hmm. uh, the, the Peggy Piggott and, and the whole falling he's, in love he's thing. He's going off to war. Like, yeah, it's right. their last night together. He just pulls a body out of the river. Like, oh, man. <laughs> I, yeah. I will say, here's what I say I, I enjoyed about the movie is whenever I started kind of getting bored, like even when yeah, just yeah. I started – Something wild would happen that I could not have foreseen <laughs> Dude, happening. The moment yeah, where right? the, he gets caved in, the first mm-hmm. like the first yes, twenty exactly. minutes of the movie, where he's like, Foomf. it's like holy shit! Great what? example. Do we just kill Ray Fiennes in this movie? Yeah, I was like, is it? But the movie's called The Dig. How is he going to do the dig if oh. Ray Fiennes is there? <laughs> yeah. So that was one thing. Another thing is, there's everyone's just chilling, having a good time. All of a sudden, a scene from Dunkirk happens, where like a plane kind of yeah. like falls out of the sky and they, they yeah. have to save him. I'm just like, holy shit. Like, 
wow and uh and so that's something that i appreciate about the film is like it would just throw something out of nowhere at you uh whenever you might have even thought about getting bored so i thought the pacing for a a movie that's like a period drama was was really good um i enjoyed it I, i never got bored um, anything you guys have to uh, any thoughts about the ending, can I, guys? Can I yeah, tell? Well, we can talk about the ending, but the, w- <laughs> one of the things that just gave me anxiety watching this movie is every time there would be a thunderstorm and mm. he would attempt to put yes, canvas yes, over the yeah. dig site. Yeah. I was like, I just the idea of of the futility of that just <laughs> made me so anxious. And like, you're it's already ruined, man. What do you? It's like you know, pushing a boulder up a it's hill. Just it's just a little wet. It's still good. It's still good, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's rough. Yeah. Um, I brought I brought up the like Terrence Malick uh kind of influence before. I, I definitely see the David Lean stuff, but for me, the sort of the way this movie is edited too, right? Where conversations would begin and it would be showing you a scene from the future or the past and kind of go backwards and forwards at times too. Uh, I found that really interesting. And there's a lot of like just wide angle lenses too, because first of all, you need that to kind of shoot a giant, you know, excavation, but they use that for a lot of the dialogue scenes too. So everybody feels small in it. Yeah. Not also against the sky, but also by the very way they're being shot, um, you know, with the lens, everything feels distorted in a way. And I, I dug that. Like clearly I've never heard of Simon Stone before, but you can clearly, he's wearing his influences on his sleeve, but I think doing really great work with that. He's not just copying these guys. Like I, I think he's using those tools really well. Yeah. Honestly, you, you, you mentioned me, the, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. ahead go, you, 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 Honestly, it reminded me of uh, Soderbergh, Steven Soderbergh. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, Cause he yeah. does that thing with his, where he has characters talking, um, but you, you don't see their mouths moving. So he's like editing the dialogue over a separate scene of them just hanging out. Yeah. I actually went and watched Out of Sight after I watched yep. this movie because it was so evocative uh, of, a, of a filmmaking technique. Um, it's almost like you're conveying twice as much or 1.5 like uh, uh, times the amount of information as you normally would because you're, you're getting the dialogue, but you're also getting those characters in a separate environment and a context. Uh, and you're kind of seeing how they behave around each other while you're getting the exposition. Yep. Uh, and uh, I think I thought it really worked for this movie. Uh, yeah. Maybe a little bit overused because it got like it got a little bit to the point where I was like, "Are they moving their lips?" Like I don't even I don't understand what's happening. Are we watching the thing that's that? You know, like <laughs> I did find I was thinking that towards the end of the movie, but overall I thought it really worked. Jeff, go ahead. No, you said it better than I would have. I was going to say much of the same. And I, I don't I differ from you. I I never got to the point where I thought it was overused. I thought it was really effective throughout and. It's kind of a lovely, uh, it gave it a, a lovely sort of abstraction almost of this, this, this tale that was displaced in time too. You know, it, we're talking about time. We're talking about history. We're talking about what perseveres through time, through history. And these, these words are sort of, uh, almost ghostly right They're They're hovering there above other scenes. Mm. And yeah, yeah, I loved, I loved that effect. I thought it was really effective. Mm-hmm. I saw this movie it, uh, yeah. after Malcolm and Marie, by the way, and you know you can really see the uh, the effective way to convey certain kinds of conversations, but also the there's a lot of communication just through visuals and just through acting in this movie, right? Of where people aren't saying anything, but the way they look at each other. Uh, I re- I really think about Ray Fine's wife and like what you know what she, she was like well he's he's in love with this work and we may not have the most money in the world but he seems very fulfilled by what he does but 
it, her the way she I don't know what she thought of like you know Carrie Mulligan's character like they, I wish that maybe had even been explored a little more but there's like some understanding there you could see it's why she never wants to like spend the night or I love uh, that yeah she yeah. seems wholly unthreatened and she and he keeps like what well, you, you want to you want to spend the night and she's like oh wait till you get home you know it's yeah. so it's <laughs> I'll do something like, interesting it's such a power move of like you, you want you want me to spend the night huh well maybe you should come home when you're ready to spend the night with me you know yeah. so it's such a power yeah. move I, yeah. I loved her i thought she yeah. was awesome mm-hmm. she's great yeah. and that whole sequence when the little boy goes out to the you know rides out them like how they handled that mm-hmm. as a couple i just thought there was it's just so lovely you know it just feels like well i was gonna give people. a shout out to that boy actor um boy, yeah, archie, Bar- archie barnes you know, usually kid actors, uh, you know, really irritate me. I'm just going to put that out there. And uh, a child actor usually needs to surmount a high bar in order to not irritate me. Well, only and, because they're human beings and human <laughs> beings irritate you, Dave. I mean, I'm not, you're not wrong. Uh, but uh, this kid was great. And, you know, a couple scenes that were like really strong. There was a scene where he... He felt like he was responsible for his mom's sickness. And then the last scene when they're kind of lying in the boat and, you know, looking yeah. off into the stars. And mm. it's it's just that's where they're really gunning for those heartstrings. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think what's implied by the end of the film is that uh, Carrie Mulligan's character has died. Yes. Like that's kind of what yeah. I got from because he get kind of gets into this car and like waves to Ray Fiennes. And I think the idea is that her she's dead. Yeah, everybody's um, in black uh, yeah. standing up there. And you yeah. feel like well, there is going to be another dig, you know, for yeah. a grave. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So, but I thought he was great and uh, really sold that role. So he did, a, he did a great job. Wanted to give him a shout out as well. Uh, all right. Any other thoughts on the dig? Anything else we want to uh, want to highlight about this movie? Um, it's too bad. I, I would love have loved to have seen this movie on the big screen. I mean, yeah. I, mm-hmm. in my home theater is pretty darn good, and I got to see it. You know, I thought it was beautiful on my big screen TV. But uh, this is really a large format movie. It, it's a small. It's about a small thing, but it's it feels like a big screen experience. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. It's also one of those movies, right, where that is so. I miss sort of just being like emotionally devastated in a giant theater, right? Yeah, like, and yeah. just like, hey, you're just surrounded by strangers, but you don't know each other, but you're all kind of just going through this thing together. And I, yeah, this movie made me miss that connection as well. Uh, I'll tell you a couple of other quick, uh, mention another couple of quick things. Uh, one is that I started watching this with my wife and she said, Oh yeah, she's very into British things. And she, we were watching it. She's like, Oh yeah. You know, this kind of stuff happens all the time where they like dig yeah. up someone's backyard and try to look for stuff. Turns out there's and, a lot of history she, there. Yeah. And, <laughs> and then she said, then later on after we, she did some reading, she's like, Oh, what she didn't fully understand was this movie and the events depicted are the reason why that happens. Yes. <laughs> <Basically>. yes. <laughs> <laughs> this, this is apparently like a really big deal in UK history, you know, and, and uh, so it's not necessarily something that like we in, in the States would know about, but it's something that apparently a lot of people, it's relatively widely known over there. Um, so wanted to, to shout that out. But. It's so wild that they were just like giant mounds. Mm-hmm. In the, you know, sure that there's like something a, there, right? A thousand yeah. year old mound in my backyard. You know, it's yeah. pretty wild. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it just open all this possibility of what what could possibly yeah. be there. But uh, yeah, I, I do want to just close by saying 
I ultimately right what the movie wants you to reflect on is it's a movie about unearthing part of the past but at the same time it's also about like what we leave behind right and it's about like who are the people you'll impact like ultimately at the end of the day we are lucky if you know 5000 years from now someone's going to find you know jeff canada's uh gold shoulder <laughs> clasp you know like in buried somewhere right you know like, about that yeah i know but like that's the thing is like we're, we'll be lucky if people if there's going to be even that much of a trace of us left uh and, and so given that that's the case like what what is it that we do leave behind like what will your legacy be um how else I do the, i keep my shoulder connected i know it's so true these are the things that the movie uh forces you to ask uh, or wants you to ask and i think it does a good job of prompting it so Anyway, um, those are our thoughts on The Dig, which is a pretty good film. Uh, let's wrap up. Stay tuned to hear what we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. Our weekly plugs music comes from Noah Ross and Thomas Medina, both of whom did an awesome job with the remix and, uh, and the original song. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. So stay tuned for the After Dark. If you're at patreon.com slash film podcast, we'll be discussing Malcolm and Marie, plus a couple of other things we missed during what we've been watching. And next week, we'll be reviewing Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, which is going to be debuting over on HBO Max. This is the second film that's going to be released this year that is uh, simultaneously on HBO Max and also in theaters. But this one is good. Yeah. I, I have a feeling this has the potential to be the first great film of 2021. Oh, but uh, yeah. so I am really excited to talk about it with you all next week on the Slash Filmcast. Again, thanks to our patrons over at patreon.com slash film podcast for making this podcast possible. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors. Thank you for listening. We'll see you later. We watch the movies, flicks, tracks for the good, bad. It's the Slash Filmcast for all the news and the movies coming out. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.